Thank you, Jill, for that. I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're with us on this really beautiful morning. I don't know if you got to get outside a little bit this morning, like if we finally get a little bit of a break from what I'm thinking is one of the chief effects of the fall is to live in Oklahoma in late July, early August. My, wow, the oppression that has been out walking outside in the heat of the day, but enjoy it. It ain't going to last. Like, we ain't there yet. This is like fake fall, number one. Um, but, um, yeah, welcome. I'm really glad uh, that you're here with us. Um, I, I'm honored that you would choose to join us um, this morning, especially if you're a guest. Maybe this is one of your first times here. We're glad that you're here. I'd love to meet you face-to-face if I have not had a chance to do so. So you have time to, if you have time to stick around after the service, I would love to say hello to you face-to-face. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, we love you. Father, even just the, the, the coolness of the morning that was kind of unexpected this morning, the, um, just that that comes from you, that you give us uh, some reprieve from the heat this morning, and it was just reminded that, that uh, of your goodness, of your goodness in everything. And I pray that today as we open your word and we look at it, I pray that you would change us, you would change our minds, you would change our hearts, you would change the way we, le- we live when we leave this place. And that your spirit would speak through your word. We know this is, this, these are your words. You reveal yourself to us in your word. So, so help us. Help us understand. Help us be changed by it this morning. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been out of the, the pulpit. I haven't preached in a few weeks. And the reason is because we ha- uh, took our long vacation. We got back last week. And we went to Montana kind of a family, uh, extended family trip up there to Montana. And uh, one of the things that we were nervous, we drove, by the way, and one of the things we were nervous about with a seven and a three-year-old is the 24-hour drive, like one way, right? It's 48 hours round trip. We're doing this drive, and all along, we're like, we're crazy. Like, why, why are we doing this? Like, should we do this? Should we not do this? We decided to do it. My, Nicole and I, my wife, we love road trips. We love driving. That's a long way with kids, though. And so a lot of uncertainty involved and you think that amount of time in a car together, a lot could go wrong, right? A lot of like, are we there yet? A lot of fighting, a lot of bickering, all of that. So one of, the, one of kind of the things that helped us with the uncertainty was um, screens. Right? We have usually strong regulations at home with screens, but on road trips in the car, like all those regulations go out the window, right? They can watch as much screens as they want for our sanity. Well, one of, so the, the biggest tool in that was um, portable DVD player, right? I know that, that kind of dates us, that makes us ancient. Um, we don't really have an iPad with the capability to play the movies, though. So we had this hand-me-down DVD player that we got several years ago that we used on road trips before. And we're like, we got that, let's roll with that, we feel pretty good about that. Well, we, about 30 minutes into the trip, we um, start off and um, the boys are wanting to watch a movie. And we're sure. So we get out the DVD player, doesn't work. So we're at this moment, right, like now, now we don't feel as good about this trip, right, because our biggest tool has been taken away from us. The uncertainty has rushed back in, and now we're under a little bit of a panic. So we're like, okay, what do we do? Well, before we get out of Oklahoma City, heading west, going up to Montana, um, we find that the, probably one of the last Walmarts we see for a while, we pull off and we decide to go in there and buy uh, another portable DVD player, right? Very rash, quick decision, but the uncertainty 
of a car ride with our boys terrified us. The chaos that could ensue. So we said, let's do it. Let's just get the DVD player. And it, and it worked. It worked all the way till we got to Montana until our three-year-old decided to break that DVD player once we got to Montana. And then we're like, okay, here we are again, right? It works so great. We believe in the tool now. So we had to go into a Walmart. God bless Walmart. They're so great. We walked in there, hey, hey, this thing's, this thing's didn't hold up, right? Like it wasn't very, it didn't hold up. It didn't hold up under the, the weight of our three-year-old. What, can, can you help? Can you help us out, right? Um, they gave us another one, right? They exchanged it. Um, so we were up front with them. We didn't lie. We told them we broke it. But, and then we, we uh, enjoyed it on the way back. Um, I, I share that just to, to show as an example of how much uncertainty and not knowing the future can twist us up. We fill in the gaps. We, we, we're afraid. It produces anxiety. And maybe that's not your story. Maybe that doesn't drive fear into you. But think of maybe you've interviewed for a job and you get the, we'll let you know in a couple of weeks. Or maybe you're um, applying for grad school and you apply for the grad school, and they're like, we'll let you know in a couple of weeks, right, if you get in. Like, that, that window of waiting is, is awful for most, most of us, right? And you put yourself in that situation, you almost rather say, just give me, if it's bad news, just give it to me now so I can move on. I don't like the waiting. I don't like the uncertainty. Right? Or maybe it's, you, especially college, we have a lot of college students here, you, you wanna, you're interested in a guy or girl, and you want to start that relationship, and you kind of put, put, put yourself out there, Right? And you're like, well, how are they going to respond? When are they responding? They haven't texted back. They haven't messaged me back. Like all of that guessing game, the uncertainty just can tie us in knots. My um, incredible wife, Nicole, if you're like her, um, she can get wrapped up in anxiety pretty quick when it comes to health, right? Like my, she gets a headache, God bless her, and um, just normal person, hey, just go take some Tylenol, right? Just don't, just, yeah, go take some ibuprofen. That's probably just a common common headache. Well, uh, usually instead of doing that, she quickly pulls out um, the doctor in her pocket, right? And she starts Googling headache. What's like the third thing on the list of a headache? You're probably about to have a brain aneurysm. And then here we go, right? It's uncertainty. It's why I need to see a neurologist. Like I, I have a headache and I'm just like, I think, I think the Tylenol would have handled it, babe. I, I have permission to share this story. Um, <laughs> I did not just pull out of my pocket. We talked about this this week, and she gave me a, she gave me a, a go ahead to do it. Um, all that being said is uncertainty makes us feel out of control. It produces anxiety in us. Some of us, it, it produces a sense of paralysis. We can't move. We can't act. We can't do anything when our future is uncertain. See, God has created and designed this world to work in a certain way. We were never meant as the creation to have absolute certainty in everything. That's not the way the world works. God has made this world not to be predictable from our point of view. And the question that Solomon, the, this writer of Ecclesiastes, who the, 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 the book of Ecclesiastes calls him preacher, right? The preacher, Solomon, um, wants us to wrestle with the question of how do we flourish in this world that he's made um, with all the uncertainty. It doesn't matter, in, any of us in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus, if this is your first time in church to a while, in a while, I think all of us to some degree want to flourish. We want to live a life that allows us to flourish. That Whatever that means to you, we want to flourish. And Solomon's going to try to help us with that. 
For those of you who are believers in this room, it's a little bit deeper, right? I think it's, it's how do we glorify God? That's our purpose. So how do we glorify God when everything beyond this present moment is uncertain? It is. Everything beyond this present moment is uncertain. Even looking in the past, the events of the past sometimes don't make sense. They're mysterious. We've had so much uncertainty in our world in the last three or four years, going back to early 2020, right? And it's just produced this, 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 this like collective anxiety and, and just lack of health in a lot of us as a society. And so Solomon here, when he's writing this, at the time of this writing, was said to be the, the richest, wisest, most powerful man in the world when he was writing this. And he has lived this, this life as kind of this experiment, and he has the means to do so. Maybe one of the only human beings who's ever had the means to actually treat life as an experiment because he had the means to try things, to enjoy things, to experience things, and test things to see how to do this, how to experience the most joy in life, how to do life the right way. And early on in Ecclesiastes that we looked at several weeks ago, but he, he uses this word vanity, which the Hebrew word for this is chabel, which, is, which can be translated unknowable or incomprehensible. And we've used this imagery like a, like a vapor or like that, that brief puff of smoke you see when you blow a candle out. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's hard to grasp. You can't put your, your hand, your, your, you can't hold on to it. It's, it's gone. So with that as a backdrop, I want to look at these six verses that we're going to look at today. What Solomon is doing is trying to give us perspective. And he, and he can do that because he's... The, 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 the background there I just showed you is the reason why he can give us this perspective. He uses this word under the sun a lot in this book. So he's going to kind of stand above the world, looking down on how the world works and how we do this, this thing called life under the sun. He's pulling back the curtain here for us to see how God has designed the world. So the way he does this is he's going to show us three things about the design of the world that we don't know. And we shouldn't know. And then he's going to also show us, then show us three things about the world we can know in this particular passage. Um, and what he's doing here is showing us to allow this uncertainty, this lack of being able to know the future, to push us to live out the things we do know. Right? And this, just, this is a shocker, right? This isn't written in a linear way. Right? As Solomon always does, he kind of talks around things. So we're not going to go through these six verses necessarily in order, but we're going hit to hit it all at some point um, today as we look at what Solomon is saying here. So here are the, th the three things we can't know, and we shouldn't even try to know, Solomon says. First thing, we can't know the future because it's uncertain. Look at verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to the seven or even to eight. And we'll get to the, that, in those, uh, th that part here in a second, but here's the main part I want us to focus on for now, this, this uh, statement. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. It's very straightforward here. And I think logically this kind of makes sense to us, right? We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what, um, what, what's going to happen to us, right? None of us is going to argue with that statement. We don't even know what good or bad thing could happen the rest of the day. We have no idea. If you think back to times in your life, those pivotal events in your life that were life-changing, if you think back now, as I think we often do, you think when you maybe woke up that morning, and you would say, when I woke up that morning, I just felt like it was going to be a normal day. I was doing my normal stuff, my normal things, 
and boom, life has never been the same since whatever happened in that day. We never know what life-shaping event is going to come into our lives. So we can't, we can't know the future. We don't know the future. It's important for us to hear that. I think we know that, but oftentimes we operate like we can control the future. Like we make plans. It's not bad to make plans, but we can make plans thinking that, oh, this plan is for sure going to happen the way I imagine it happening two weeks from now. We really don't. We really can't make that assurance. That's the first thing. The second thing is we don't know fully how the world works. Now look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Now I love here that he makes, remember he's just more than 2,000 years ago. A long time ago Solomon is writing this. And he uses this imagery of a baby in the womb. And the fact that we still don't know everything, how life works in the womb today. Right? We don't even know, we, we know a lot since Solomon's time, but we still don't know even how cells, when they, like certain clumps of cells as they develop, make certain body parts at certain points in the gestation period, right? Like some cells turn into toes, some cells turn into an arm, some cells turn into kidneys. And we don't really fully understand how that works. It's crazy in thousands of years we still can't figure out how all of the things about life in the womb. And this really applies to any area of the universe. We just don't know, right? Take the weather around here, right? We got some meteorologists in here, people who work for weather companies, right? A lot of us around these parts are like armchair meteorologists. I know I'm one. I love it. I like to think I know more than I do. Um, You know, just education by Gary England and David Payne. But like, think about this, right? We we don't understand everything about the weather, right? Meteorologists, hang on with me here. Um, we, like, make up words when I think we don't fully understand things, right? Like a derecho. Like, come on, right? It's like a straight line of a strong storm, like, really straight, straight line winds really hard. Let's call that a derecho, right? Like, do we, can we not come up with a better name than that? Do we, do we know what that is? We're just going to call that a derecho. Or like thunder snow. It's like, we don't know how that works, so let's just put the two things together that are happening that kind of makes us, it's kind of strange. Like, there's thunder and it's snowing, right? It's like, why don't we call ice in the winter sleet rather than tiny hail? (laughs) Or, like, in the spring called hail, spring sleet, right? I mean, it's this little, like, spherical pieces of ice, right? Either way. But, like, there's just things we put labels to that we don't fully understand, Drive on parkways, park on driveways. Like, I, I don't know. Um, and don't even, we shouldn't even get started, like, on the, on the, on the science of space, right? We, have, we know so little about what goes on in our universe beyond Earth. Like, we just don't know things, even as much as we would like to admit. And this should humble us. Like, God did to Job. When Job was getting a little bit, like, confident and, and like, he knew more than God, God kind of sarcastically puts him in his place. Job 38. Four and five, it says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Right? Tell me, Job. Like, tell me. If, if you understand everything, tell me about the foundations of the earth and what it looked like when I did that. Or who determined its measurements? Right? Surely you know, right? Surely as, as smart as you are, Job, and as much as you got this whole thing figured out, tell me about this, right? God, God trying to show Job, kind of put him in his place, humbling him to show you don't, you don't know as much as you think you know. Life, this world is mysterious 
mysterious. Bottom line, with all the advances in technology and intellect, there's still more that we don't know than we do know. That's the second. Third, we can't guarantee success and avoid failure in the things we do. Look at verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Right? We can't guarantee success or failure. Like a farmer who throws a seed out and has to lead much of the success of the crop up to things outside of their control, right? There will always be variables in our pursuits that we can't control. How often do we kind of get in this mindset that we can control the future if we just work hard enough? We can avoid failure enough if we just do X, Y, and Z. Everything is going to fall into place, and that is just not true. It's not the way the world works. There may be someone, there's probably always someone better qualified for the job you're applying for. You may be good for it, you may be a good fit, but there's always probably somebody else that's a better fit than you. Students, there's always a test that no matter how hard you study and how well you think you know that content, you'll, you'll never get, be able to, to ace or, or, or score a perfect score on an exam. You just can't do that every time. Parents, this just feels like parenting all the time. Right? We cannot control the success of our kids. We want them to do a certain thing. They don't do it. It's one of the things that once we want to try to exert our control so much is in parenting, especially I mean, I only have small kids, so I'm saying especially with small kids, but I'm sure it happens with older kids as well. But it's like I can't get them to do what I want them to do, and it's frustrating. The success, we can't control the success or failure of our kids. And that's just the negatives, even successes that we do have in life. Sometimes it's unexpected. Sometimes we have successes when we don't deserve to have successes. We can't, we don't fully understand how success and failure work. So the three things he's mentioned that we can't know. We can't know the future. We don't fully know how the world works. And third, we can't guarantee success or avoid failure in the things we do. Now, once we come to grips with these things, and Solomon really wants us to come to grips with this, to rest in these, to know these things, to not try to like buck up against the way God has created the world. And once we stop trying to understand them, it begins to help us grasp and lean in on the things we can control things we can work towards. And here are, the, here are three things Solomon's going to give us uh, that we can do that. And, and all these things are going to require courage rooted in faith. And we're going to have to step out in, 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 in faith and trust in some of these things. The first thing is, is we should know, um, the first thing we should know is that we should have the courage to be radically generous. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to the seven, to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. There's some disagreement among commentators what imagery Solomon's trying to kind of put forth here, but most come to the conclusion that this has to do with kind of uh, commerce and, and economics, right? Back in the day when, when Solomon had been writing this, obviously all the, the shipping and trading between nations and countries was done over the land or by boat, right? And so there was this phrase of casting your bread up on the waters. And what that meant basically like was it requires some faith to put your goods as a country on a boat and send it away to another country. You can imagine thinking through, well, we could probably have used that, but we need to send it off in order to get stuff back. 
So you imagine sending the boats away, and as they leave your line of sight, there's probably, I'm sure there was this moments of, wow, what if that ship sinks? What if a storm comes and damages all the goods? What if somebody takes those goods or, you know, you know, pirates come or whatever and steals those things on this boat. A lot of things could happen when you put those things on a boat and send it off. So there was some risk, there was some trust involved in the short term, knowing that the other countries are doing the same thing. They're, you're going to get imports from other countries. You may not, it may not be an even exchange, but as you send stuff off, things will come back to you. Right? The principle goes deeper here, and it's really saying that we have to take some short-term risks. We have to play the long game in our life on things. We have to do some things that are going to feel uncomfortable in the short term that we pray and hope will have long-term benefits, long-term uh, fruit of our investment. And then verse 2 says along these same lines, give a portion to seven or even to eight. And really this is, he's just saying diversify. And obviously, this is like just good, basic financial wisdom, like diversify your investments. But I think it's, it goes deeper than that. I think it means that we should, we should diversify and invest in the kingdom of God in many different ways, many different places. And basically saying, take the best of who you are, take the best of what you've received, steward that well, and give it away for the kingdom. And don't just give it into one area. Like you may have to think of different areas that you can use your gifts and this is what Solomon's trying to drive home here. Jesus teaches on this in Luke 12, verse 16. He says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is this the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not the rich towards God? So Saving's not bad. It's not what this parable is about. What this man was doing who built the bigger barns was he's, he was using his ability to save as an idol. He was finding his value, his worth, his security everything in his ability to look out in his backyard of this giant barn and have this like warm blanket of knowing I've got this way I've got this for, for myself it's for myself it's there for a rainy day and God's saying you're fool you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow that, what is that what's going to happen to that money if you die tomorrow like send it off invest it use it use it for the kingdom use it for good things not on yourself but use it to build up the kingdom He's trying, to, he's trying to highlight that we shouldn't live in fear or passivity in the things that God has given us. John 12, 24 through 25, Jesus says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in, the, in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is, the, this is like the economy of the kingdom, right? right? What is up becomes low. If you make yourself low, you go up. The way to life is through death, right? This is the way the kingdom works. How, to, how do you become exalted? You humble yourself. If you try to exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. It's an upside-down kingdom. We should have the courage to be radically generous with what God has given us. Secondly, we should have the courage to take wise risks. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. 
And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb, in the womb of a woman <clears throat> with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Keeping on this example of agriculture, of farming. Right? Clouds are unpredictable. Right? We don't know the weather. Even as a farmer who spends so much of his time studying these things, you still don't know exactly when it's going to rain. What clouds are going to produce rain? What clouds aren't going to produce rain? Right? When a tree falls, you don't know which way it's going to fall. And once it does fall, it's going to be hard to remove it. It's probably going to lay there for a while unless you have the means to move it. He's saying that it's uncertain. It's uncertain. That there's uncertainty in this life. And as a farmer, you have to just cast the seed. You have to throw the seed and trust that things are going to happen the way you want it to happen. And what Solomon, I think, wants us to know is he doesn't want us to be paralyzed by the things we don't know. He wants us to act. A lot of us want as much information as we can about things before we will act. Sometimes you just have to act. You have to have risks. You have to build that into your life. If you obsess so much about the life around you, you won't act. You won't invest. We don't know what God is going to do, so we should act. We should move in courage and faith. One of the biggest risks we took, as, as my wife and I, Nicole, uh, is to plant this church, right? It was really scary. We were, we were counting the cost. We, we loved the city we lived in. We had opportunities to stay there and work at the church that we were at. We loved the church, but we just felt like this is something, this calling we couldn't run away from. We needed to do it, and it was a risk we took. And um, I, I love that God has done a lot through the church. And, um, but there's a point when, when you're calculating these things of you're going to have to act when you don't have the information that you want. I wish I could have had more information when we planted the church. If there was a guaranteed success, this is exactly what God would But God said, no, no, no. Like, you don't get to decide those things. You just act. You trust me in faith. Verse 6, last thing. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Back to this idea of success and failure. We don't know what's going to lead to success and what's going to lead to failure. And the way I think we combat this is to see that everything we've been given in life is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to steward. And we have freedom to steward those things um, according to God. He gives us a lot of freedom in how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what, where do we use our gifts. There's a lot of freedom involved in that as, we're stewarding, as long as we're stewarding those things well. The problem is when we see the stuff that's given to us as this zero-sum game. And now it's, a, now it's all about success or failure. So I'm going to do, do good or I'm going to do bad. I'm going I'm to succeed at this or I'm going to fail at this. And it, just everything turns into this competition where we're trying to achieve and achieve and achieve. And that is not what God gives us our, our gifts for, our intellect for, our energy for. Right? We have to receive things as a gift and steward those back to God in that way. Uh, one of the things that I... I've had the opportunity to coach a lot of my um, older son's sports teams um, early on in his life. And one of the things, the things I'm constantly reminding these boys of that I get to coach is it's not about winning and losing. And especially as they get older, they begin to look at the scoreboard more. And, even, and, and in sports, it's one of the cl clear, easiest things to see. Like, that can be a distraction, right? One, I, I want them to have fun. If they're worried about performance and winning and losing all the time, they're not going to have fun. They need to have fun. And they need to get better. And, and you can control 
the, those things of getting better. You can't always control the outcomes of winning and losing. So focus on what you can control, have fun, and enjoy the things God has given you. And I think that translates really well to our life. So in summary, faith-rooted courage is kind of the umbrella here. And the way we do that is through radical generosity, wise risk-taking, and freedom to live without fear of failure. Those are the ways that we, I think, operate in the world that God has created. Now, let's look at Matthew 25, 24 through 30. Jesus, once again, is teaching on this. He also had received a one talent. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But, the, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So even Jesus is showing us this principle of taking what we have and, and, and enjoying it, but in such a way that we're stewarding it. Not to be paralyzed like the guy that put it in the ground saying, well, I, I can't use this. I don't know the uncertainty. I'm not sure what's going to go on. I'm just going to stick it in the ground, and at least I won't lose that one. God's saying, no, that's not the way God wants us to operate with the gifts he's given us. So with all that being said, I want us to have, as we've done in this series several times, when we start talking about application, we first have to kind of realize where we're standing in relation to Ecclesiastes, right? When Solomon was writing this, this was before Jesus came to earth, right? Before Jesus was crucified, was resurrected, before he ascended, before he sent the Spirit, all of those things, Solomon was writing this before. Solomon gives us some really good wisdom, a really godly, biblical wisdom he gives us, but it's incomplete. And from our vantage point, we need to look back and we need to interpret and understand the application here through the lens of the gospel. And I love Luke 11 because this really sets us up well as far as talking about Solomon. Listen to what Jesus said to the crowds here. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South, which, if you go back to the Old Testament, this is Queen Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater then Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. There's a lot in this passage. He's going back to the Old Testament to really build up some things here. But what I want you to see most is what Jesus is saying is something greater is here. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here. The kingdom has come. I embody that kingdom. I am here. He's the greater Solomon. Solomon could give us really good wisdom, which we've seen in Ecclesiastes, but Jesus is wisdom. He embodies wisdom. Solomon can't and didn't die as a substitute for our sin. He was a a sinner, right? He could die for our sin. Jesus could. Solomon wasn't coming back from the dead on earth like Jesus did. Jesus is the only one who who rose from the dead. 
Solomon didn't send the Holy Spirit. There was no, he, Solomon couldn't do that. Jonah couldn't do that. Only Jesus could send the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to live the kind of lives that Solomon himself wants us to live. See, all of this, we need to step back and it should humble us, realizing that God has designed us to not have certainty in everything. We can't know the future. We can't control things. And through the power of the gospel, we're able to have courage rooted in faith in the midst of a world that is riddled with uncertainty. Like the people of Nineveh, when Jonah goes to them, he calls them to repent. He gets their attention. This is what, what, what Jesus is saying in this passage is God used Jonah to get the Ninevites' attention, to, to communicate God's grace to them. It was a point in the Ninevite like, uh, nation's life where they heard the grace of God through this person, Jonah. He put them to um, a decision through the prophet Jonah. And the gospel calls us to humble ourselves and turn to him. In the same way Jonah called the Ninevites to turn to God. The gospel also tells us that, and we see this in, in just the biblical wisdom of Solomon, that we can't be the kind of people who think we can control things. If you're the kind of person who wants to have control of everything and that's kind of part of your identity, like you can kind of control the narrative, control what you look like, control your schedule, control the things that will happen to you, and you just want all the control. You want everything to be laid out. You have to come to grips at some point that that is going to end in failure. You can't control everything out in front of you in your future. One of the things that I want my boys to hear, and when I, when I see this in them, it breaks my heart, especially my seven-year-old. He's old enough, he start, I start to see him worrying about things that he shouldn't worry about. He's trying to control things that he has no business trying to control. I just want to tell him, buddy, this isn't your job. Like, let mommy and daddy handle that. Let mommy and daddy worry about that. I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to run in your lane. I want you to know that you're loved by me and your mom, and this is who you are. You're a, you're, you're a son that's loved by us, and we're trying to create this environment where you can enjoy life and come to know Jesus. Don't worry about those things. Don't try to control those things. And I think God wants to tell us that too. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are not little mini gods that need to orchestrate our every moment of our lives. And we need to rest in this. We might need to repent of that. Think of Romans 8, 37. Let's take a look at that. I love, this is at the end of that incredible passage in Romans 8. And uh, he says this, Paul does. No, in all these things, which he's talked about persecution and just the difficulties of the world. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him, God, who loved us, and we'll see in a second, through Jesus, he says, for I am sure that neither, life, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The thing that allows us to, to lay down our need to know the future, our need to, 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 to not take risks and keep things in our control, that can, we, can, we can be open-handed when we realize that we've been loved so much by the Father. And now we're given things in this life to steward in freedom and enjoy those things as we honor God. Not to take the things God has given us and hold them tight and try to control them and, and be kind of stingy with it. No, we can be free because of what Jesus has done for us. Those of you in here who don't know Jesus, when you're here visiting for the first time, like how does that come off is that this, this idea of being more than conquerors? 
Because what does that mean to you? What do you? When do you think about that, right? Like, what do you do with uncertainty? Do you feel like a conqueror when you move through life and you're kind of hit with these things that happen to you that are uncertain? Like, what do you do with that? I, I, don't, I don't know what I would do without having experienced God's grace. I don't know how I would handle that, how I would navigate this life of uncertainty. I encourage you to think about that. Like, what resources do you have to deal with uncertainty? I think the gospel and the love that God shows us in Jesus is the way to handle uncertainty. So here's one specific application. We've talked about a lot of things that you can do out of this, but I want to give us one very practical thing. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Everyone in this room, you can do this. Identify one thing, one area where you need um, to take a risk, right? One area where you know you need to have some courage right now. Maybe you've been hesitating acting. This could be as small as like you need to have a conversation with someone and you've been scared to have it. And you need to take the risk. You need to trust and not worry about how it's going to play out. Because again, we don't know how it's going to play out. So trust and lean in to that discomfort. Maybe it's um, you need to say yes to something that you've been asked to do. Maybe you're scared to step into that, but it's something that people maybe around you have said, you should, you should do that. You should try that. Like, I think it's, I think just thinking about it for a few minutes, I think we all probably have those areas where we feel maybe a little bit paralyzed. We feel some anxiety. Um, and we know this, right? We know that the way we grow often is through walking into discomfort. Walking into the places that we actually have to let go of our ability to kind of control and manipulate things and like let God actually lead us through his spirit into those things. And we look back at those seasons, we're like, wow. Like I grew a lot in my dependence. I grew a lot in my faith that I had to have in God during that time. How can we become the kind of people who are rooted in the love of Jesus instead of finding our identity in trying to kind of control our lives? That's what I want us to be known for is how do we control, how do, how do we release our control, give up our control, and trust in Jesus? Maybe it's wanting to belong to a certain kind of group. Maybe it's wanting to be seen as a certain kind of person. Whatever that is, let it go. Take a risk. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait, those of you who are maybe a little bit older, don't wait until retirement. Don't wait until one day in the future you'll have time, or one day I'll, I'll be able to do that, or I'll be able to think more about that, or I'm going to wait till X, Y, and Z is finished. No, if you need to do it now, and God's telling you to do it now, do it now. Trust, lean into that. I want us to be able to, and I, I, somebody said this this week as I was studying, and I, it's just been, it's, it's stuck with me, but what if we were able to, to kind of fast forward to our final days and look back at this moment right now and really see that there are worse things than dying, right? There are worse things than dying. Right? There's the, the thing that's worse than that is being alive for 78 years. That's just the, the average life expectancy right now. Being alive for 78 years and not really living. Not really living. One author said, the purpose of our life isn't to arrive safely at death. It's a great statement, right? The purpose of our lives is not to arrive safely at death. And I think if we can fast forward and look back at this moment at the end of our days, it helps us kind of put these things in perspective. Are we really living? Are we taking risks? 
Are we leaning in in our faith and having courage? Because oftentimes, following Jesus requires courage. Let's have courage rooted in faith that allows us to lean into the uncertainty we face. Let's pray. Father, I pray is I, pr- I pray that we would see this wisdom that Solomon has given us. Um, it's, it's full of hope. To be able to release not having to know and not striving to know the things that we will never know, that we will never understand. There's so much freedom in being open-handed, letting those things go, and actually taking into our hands the things we can lean into, like taking risks that are, that, are, that are rooted in faith, like being able to love in the midst of uncertainty, to be able to steward what you've given us in a healthy way, to not go through life with a scorecard in front of our face and kind of saying, I've been successful here and failed here and successful here and failed here. No. If our identity is in Jesus, we're loved by a father. We have the victory. We've been united to him. Help us live as as free sons and daughters that can honor you and glorify you with the stuff that you've given us and enjoy it, enjoy life and not be racked with anxiety because we, or the frustration of trying to control things will never go away if we don't release control. So help us, help us through your spirit, help us do that this morning so we can honor you and we can glorify you in this life we live. We love your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.